Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we're going to be talking all about strategies that we can use if a child becomes escalated in our classrooms. So these are all going to be strategies on how to de-escalate a student in our classroom and I'm really excited about this episode. I get some of these questions a lot about de-escalating students or what to do once a student is already upset or frustrated about something. How can we help that student in the best way possible so they can re-enter our classroom or re-enter the learning space ready to learn? All right, so the first thing I wanna talk about is the idea that if we are talking about de-escalating a student who is already upset or frustrated about something, we are talking about a behavior that is already occurring. So we are trying to intervene after that behavior has already started to occur, which makes us on the consequence end of that behavior. Now, we talked about consequences and a episode a while ago and how consequences is not this bad term. It's something that happens after a behavior as opposed to antecedents. Now antecedents are strategies we can put in place prior to a behavior. So I do want to touch on some antecedent strategies that we can put into place to prevent students from becoming escalated in the first place. All right, so let's just talk really quickly about what we can do to prevent students from becoming escalated in the first place. Now, no student wants to throw a tantrum or struggle with behavior in the classroom. I think we can all agree that none of our students wanna have that moment in our classroom, and we wanna prevent that from occurring as much as possible. When students are escalating, they're upset and they're experiencing a loss of control of their ability to manage their behavior and their emotions in that moment. And no one wants to be in that place because it's a really hard place to be in. So as much support as we can put in place to prevent students from escalating in our classrooms, the better off that everyone will be in our classroom and the more that our students will succeed. A lot of the strategies that we can do on the antecedent end or prior to the behavior occurring have to do with really knowing our students. So building relationships with our students, knowing our students, knowing what causes them to escalate in the first place is going to be really important to us preventing that from occurring. So building relationships with your students, I know that we've talked about that a little bit in the past and you've probably heard it a hundred times before, but having a really strong relationship with your students is really important so that we know exactly what could possibly cause them to escalate and so that we can prevent them from happening so that they are not struggling with their behavior in our classrooms. So 
Again, building that relationship is going to be really important, but one thing that we also can do that kind of works as a universal support for all students is to avoid getting in a power struggle with students. I plan on doing an entire episode about power struggles and how to avoid them in the first place, but that is one key aspect of avoiding a student escalating is to avoid that power struggle. Avoid that back and forth because we know in power struggles when we're going back and forth with a student, a lot of times that can cause a student to escalate. It can cause the adult to escalate as well. If you're going back and forth in any situation, it heightens your behavior and you start to struggle with managing your behavior and your emotions more in that moment. So we want to avoid that power struggle as much as possible. If you start to find yourself in a back and forth with a student, you can simply let that student know that you're going to talk to them later about the situation and redirect them to do something that you know that they will engage in. So this is a high probability behavior. A high probability behavior is a behavior that you know that student can engage in and usually engages in it willingly. So it could be like, doing an errand for you or a special job or could just be going back to their seat or something along those lines that you know is a simple task that that student to do so that they can be successful in that moment. Once they engage in that appropriate behavior, you want to make sure you acknowledge that appropriate behavior and provide some reinforcement for it because again, we want to build on student success. So we've successfully stopped the power struggle by removing ourselves from that situation and then allowing that student to be successful with a behavior that we redirected them to do and then provided them with some reinforcement around that behavior so that they are building on success. We want to then leave that situation that caused that initial back and forth alone for a while. No one wants to talk about that until both of you have de-escalated from that situation or have removed yourself from that situation for just a little bit of time so that both of you can come back and talk about that with an open mind and less frustration around that situation. As the adult in the situation, once you recognize that you're going back and forth with a student, I really suggest just walking away from the situation by letting the student know that you're going to talk about this later, that you acknowledge and validate their feelings in that moment, but you think that it's going to be more productive to talk about it at a later time, redirect them to engage in an appropriate behavior, and then praise them or provide them with some sort of reinforcement for engaging in that appropriate behavior. This will greatly reduce the chance that a child will escalate in that moment. Again, a power struggle can lead to students escalating and you don't want that to happen. So the second you recognize that you're going back and forth with a student, I really suggest breaking that cycle of the power struggle and letting things calm down prior to re-engaging about that specific situation with that student. Another thing we can do on the antecedent end is really recognize what can escalate a student in the first place. So again, this goes back to having a really strong relationship with a student, but if you start to see a pattern in a student's behavior, maybe that they are escalating over academic tasks, specifically maybe writing tasks, then you know that that can be triggering to a student's behavior. So you're going to want to help put supports in place for that student around those specific tasks that they might struggle with. This is the same for transitions or change or anything along those lines that you see that really upsets or frustrates the student that causes them to escalate. If you notice these patterns and you know your students and you have that really strong relationship with your students, you can start to put some interventions and supports in place so that we mitigate these situations and we help build student skills so that they can handle these situations more appropriately in the future. 
Okay, so let's say for example, you do have a student who struggles with writing and your schedule right now has on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that you go from choice time to writing. Now the student really likes choice time. So going from a very preferred task to a non-preferred task is really hard for that student. So we might wanna put some supports in place around that. If you have the ability to change the schedule so that you're not going from a highly preferred task to a less preferred task or a non-preferred task altogether, that could be an option for you. If you don't have control of their schedule and it's just how your schedule has to be, you can provide warnings to the student prior to choice time being over, letting them know, remember in five minutes we have to go do writing, and then give them a three minute warning and then give them a one minute warning. And then I would even provide a choice from transitioning from choice time to writing. And I would provide that choice around where they do the writing task, how they do the writing task. You can also even have a choice of an intermediary task between the transition of choice time to writing, like doing a special job for you or passing out papers or something that the student can be really successful with that you can build on that success and lead right into writing. So that can be a good way to kind of bridge that gap between choice time and writing and make it just a little smoother of a transition. Another option that you have is to identify why that student doesn't like writing. So it could be that they struggle with writing and writing is just really hard for them. It could be that they find it really boring. It could be that it's at the end of the day and they're just like tired from doing all of the work that they've done prior to that. So there can be a lot of reasons why they don't like writing. And if we figure out the why behind that, then we can address the why behind that as well. Using visual supports and prompts can be really helpful in just really identifying the situations that are causing students to escalate in the first place and helping mitigate some of those situations can be really, really helpful. Another thing you're definitely gonna wanna do on the antecedent end is teach coping skills. We really, really wanna teach our students coping skills so when they are becoming escalated, they have strategies that they can use, that they know how to use, that will allow them to help calm their body. Because once we start to escalate, even as adults, it's really hard for us to go back and help ourselves calm down utilizing coping skills, and it's even harder if we don't know how to use those. So a lot of times what I see is a student is starting to escalate, and a teacher or another adult is prompting them to engage in some sort of coping skill that we've never really explicitly taught them in the first place and we don't know if they can readily do on their own. So if you're in a situation, imagine you're becoming really upset and frustrated and someone is telling you to do something that you don't know how to do. One, becoming upset and frustrated decreases your ability to process information accurately and efficiently. So a lot of verbal prompts are coming at this student. They're not really processing that information and you're telling them to do something that they might not readily be able to do because we haven't taught and reinforced that skill yet. So we really wanna make sure that we're focusing on teaching coping skills to our entire class on a very consistent basis so that we know that students can engage in those coping skills. This will automatically increase the use of coping skills once our students know how to do it, once we've reinforced that skill a lot, so we've really developed it in the repertoire, then they will utilize those strategies and be able to help calm their bodies and not get into that escalation cycle that we might see with some of our students. So if you don't know where to start with how to teach students coping strategies, I have a free guide for you that walks you through six easy steps and they're really feasible steps for you to carry out in your classroom on how to teach your students coping strategies. There's examples included in that as well. And I have a whole episode on it. So it's one of the first episodes, I think it's the third episode of this podcast. Make sure you go back and listen to that episode so that you know all of my strategies for teaching students coping skills in your classroom. 
Okay, so we've talked about a couple of antecedent strategies that you can have in place to prevent students from escalating in the first place, but that's not always foolproof. It doesn't always work 100% of the time. There are situations that will frustrate our students, will cause them to become upset, and will cause them to escalate, and we need to know what to do if that happens. So the first thing that I want to talk about is that there is phases to an escalation cycle. There's the very beginning phase where the student is just starting to become upset and frustrated. There is that middle phase where we really see the peak of the behaviors that they're struggling with. And then there is the ending phase where they're starting to calm down. So if our student is kind of at the beginning phase and they're becoming frustrated or upset with something, the best thing you can do in that situation is listen and validate those students' feelings. So let's take that writing example again. We have a student who is transitioning from choice time to writing and the student does not prefer writing but highly prefers choice time. And the student is becoming upset in that moment and might say things like, I don't like writing. I don't know why you always make us do writing. It's so boring. I'm not good at it. And they start to become frustrated and they start to become really upset in that moment. One thing you can do in that moment is listen and validate their feelings. You can say something along the lines of, Writing is hard for some people, and if it's hard for you, that's okay. Listening and validating the student's feelings in that moment when they first start to become upset and frustrated can go a really long way. The last thing that we wanna do is say something along the lines of, well, writing's not a choice, we all have to do writing. That's gonna cause them to become more frustrated in that moment and will cause them to enter into that full escalation cycle where they might be entering that middle phase of the cycle. If we can listen and validate those students' feelings, it can really help them immediately start to calm down and prevent them from entering that middle cycle of the escalation phase cycle, whatever you wanna call it. Let them know that you're listening to their concerns. You can say, I hear that you're saying that you don't like writing and it's okay not to like writing. Just validate their concern. You can also connect with them in that moment and say, I don't like writing either or writing is hard for me as well. But we wanna make sure we're just listening and validating. And if a student is expressing these feelings of frustration and why they're upset, really try and listen to what the student is saying in that moment. It might take a little bit longer. It might not make your transition as smooth. You might get a little bit off schedule, but it will go a long way and really can prevent the student from entering into that middle phase of our escalation cycle that we really don't want them to be in because that's when they're really struggling with their behavior. We might also have a situation where a student in that moment, they become frustrated and upset. They might not be saying anything, but their behavior is saying something. So we wanna be listening to their behavior, observing their behavior, and just validating their feelings in that moment. So let's say they're not saying anything, but they're ripping up the writing assignment. That can communicate to you that they don't wanna do that assignment. So you can say things like, I know that this might be hard for you. Can you tell me what's hard about it? Can you tell me what I can help you with? Which really brings us to our next phase of our intervention, and that is alleviating any feelings that the student might have that is causing them to become upset and frustrated. So if we're sticking with our writing example, it might be that the student finds writing really hard and feels like they're not really good at it. So we want to alleviate those feelings of not being good at it or that it's really hard or any anxiety that they have around engaging in writing tasks because it is hard for them. We see this a lot with students who struggle with reading. When situations come up where they're asked to read in class or they're asked to sit and read for 
longer periods of time and reading is really hard for them, it might cause them to become anxious about it and start to escalate their behavior. If we can listen and validate their feelings and then start to alleviate some of those feelings that they are feeling, it can really help them calm down in the moment. Alleviating their feelings looks like you offering support or help. So we're sticking with our writing example. Our student has expressed to us that they find writing really hard and it's not something that they prefer to do. You can offer support in that moment and say, I know writing is really hard, so let me help you with it. How about we do the first problem, writing, sentence, whatever it might be, together. Note, the student might not agree right away. They're still a little upset and they're still a little frustrated that they even have to do writing to begin with. And you offering support and help can help alleviate some of that anxiety, but it's not gonna alleviate it right in that moment instantly. So you might just offer the support and say, I'm here to help you when you need it. Why don't you take a seat? Why don't you go to a location in the room where they can calm down and let me know if you need my help. Just offering it and knowing that you are there to support them can go a really long way. Again, they might not be willing or ready to accept your help right in that moment, and that's okay. Give them some time and space, listen and validate their feelings, continue to do that, and offer support so that you're really alleviating some of those feelings of frustration and upset they're feeling right at the moment. This can also be done in a nonverbal way. So let's say that a student is upset and frustrated. We know that when students are upset and frustrated, they have a harder time processing verbal information. So maybe we just like write them a note and just say, I know writing's hard for you. If you need help, I'm gonna be at my desk. And just let them know you are there to support them. And just give them a little bit of time and space to be upset about it. And then they can come and approach you for help. That might be where the escalation phase stops for a lot of students. So if we really spend our time listening and validating those feelings and providing support and alleviating their feelings of upset and frustration in that moment and allow us to build on the success of that student, then that can end the cycle right then and there. But for some of our students, that might not be the case. And some of our students might enter into that middle phase of the escalation cycle where they're at the peak of struggling with their behaviors. At this phase of the escalation cycle, you might need to remove some of the other students from the room. One of the important things at this phase or when any student is escalating is that we keep the students safe as well as the other students and staff in the room. A lot of you might be on a team of individuals who are trained in some sort of de-escalation technique. If you're not, or if you're a new teacher, or if you're new to a building, I would really highly recommend asking your administration how you can get trained in de-escalation techniques. Most districts have some sort of program that they subscribe to, and I would be willing to bet that a lot of districts have staff that are trained, that are had a train-to-trainer model so that they are training the staff in the district on that de-escalation program that you and your district support. So I would highly recommend asking for training on that and being able to become certified in some sort of de-escalation program because that can also really help. It'll give you a lot of tools and strategies to use in that moment. I would say follow your district's procedures or your building's procedures if you do have a student who has entered into that middle phase of the escalation cycle and you do have to remove some students from the classroom to keep everyone safe in that situation. For our student that is struggling, I highly recommend, well one, you're gonna follow the protocol of whatever the de-escalation program training that you have. 
But if you do have a student who is in that middle phase of the escalation cycle, I highly recommend limiting verbal redirections or verbal prompts as much as possible because students that are escalated, adults that are escalated, anyone that is escalated has a harder time processing information when they are escalated and it can cause things just to snowball and we don't want that to happen. So as much as you can, just use visual prompts or gestural prompts for the student. I also highly, highly recommend modeling appropriate coping strategies in that moment. So you've done the antecedent work, you've taught coping strategies to your students in the classroom, your student is struggling with their behavior in that moment, I would model some of those appropriate coping strategies that you've taught. Modeling can be a really powerful strategy because it eliminates some of that verbal redirection or direction that we can be giving in that moment. And it just allows us to visually show what the student should be doing or an option that the student has to help calm their body. If our student has gotten to the middle of the escalation phase, they're having a really hard time managing their behavior and their emotions. And the biggest thing that we can do is keep them safe and keep everyone else safe. And we don't want to get frazzled or escalated ourselves because an escalated adult is not gonna be able to de-escalate an escalated child. So we wanna make sure that we are calm in that moment, that we are seeking support if we need it from other adults in the building so that we're able to maintain being calm and that we are modeling appropriate coping strategies for that student. So we're giving them those visual prompts of what choices they have in that moment. Once that student has started to calm down and you can see that they are, through their behavior, that they are less frustrated and upset in that moment, then you can start to really reinforce some of the appropriate behaviors that they're engaging in. Provide some redirections that you know that they can engage in that then you can praise and reinforce. So we're building on that student's success. If we are giving redirections, we wanna make sure that our redirections are very short and that they're very clear so that the student can process only the information that they need to process and that they're able to engage in whatever direction you have for them successfully. Again, fully calming down might take a little bit of time. So you don't want to process the situation with the student until that they are fully calmed down. Now this might be the next day, it might be two days. So we wanna make sure that we've given the student enough time to calm down and then process that situation with the student. Processing the situation looks a lot like listening and validating to their feelings again. So when you're processing the situation with the student, you want to listen to their concerns, listen to why they became frustrated and validate those concerns and frustrations. Then you can work with the student to make a plan for the future so that this behavior doesn't occur again. So we want to sit down with the student and really make a plan that works for both of you, works for the student and for you so that we can avoid this situation from happening in the future. Now the plan might not be set to go right then and there. It might be something that you both need to think about. It might be something that you have to talk about at a later time, maybe a couple days from now, maybe in the afternoon, whatever it might be but let the student know that you're making this plan together and that their voice is going to be in this plan as much as your voice. A lot of times what I see is that the adults come up with a plan and we don't really involve the student and we don't want to do that. We want the student's voice to be in this plan as much as possible because that's gonna really increase the success of our plan. Once you've come up with the plan and both agreed on the plan, obviously the parents should be involved, other staff should be involved so that everyone is on the same page with the plan. You wanna make sure that the plan is actually in place. So you wanna make sure that it's really feasible for everyone involved so that we are able to carry out this plan with fidelity in the future so that we can avoid the situation. 
All right, so we've talked about antecedent strategies that we can have in our classroom that prevent students from escalating. Then we've talked about strategies at the beginning of the escalation phase, the middle phase, and then what to do once the student has calmed down. Now that we've talked about all of that, we're gonna talk about what we can do as adults in our buildings to help support and prevent escalations in the future. Our plan as the educators in the building should be to teach coping skills to our students. We need to explicitly teach these coping skills. We need to reinforce the coping skills so that students are able to engage in those coping skills when they become upset or frustrated. And this might take time and it might take a lot of practice and it might take a lot of reinforcement of these skills for our students to be able to engage in them fluently. There's a difference between knowing what we should be doing in the moment and actually being able to do and engage in that behavior in the moment. A lot of times what I see is that after a situation has occurred, a student can tell you, I should be taking deep breaths. I should have asked for a break. I should have asked for a drink of water. They can tell you the coping skills, but in the moment, if they're not engaging in those coping skills, then they're not in their repertoire yet. And we need to do something about that as adults. Again, I have a whole guide on teaching coping skills and I did a whole episode on it and you can utilize that guide and that episode to really draw a framework and a structure around how you're going to teach coping skills in your classroom. Believe me when I say this, it will be it will be so beneficial to your students if we start incorporating explicit instruction on coping skills in our classrooms. We also want to make sure we're looking at the whole student. In looking at the whole child, we want to make sure that we're getting other supports and services in place so that student feels supported in the classroom and in the school environment as a whole. Lastly, I do want to talk about how we can support the adults in the room that were involved with the situation after the situation is over and everything has calmed down. We do want to make sure that we're checking in with everyone and supporting our staff as well. So after a situation has occurred, you might want to sit down and meet with the staff that were involved and make sure that their feelings are listened to and validated, that we're alleviating any anxieties or any feelings that they might be having around the situation, and that we're putting supports in place so that our adults feel supported in that situation. It can also be a time to reflect on what can be done differently in the future, what can be done similarly if something worked that really helped that student so that you guys are all on the same page and you know what the plan is for the next time something happens. If it happens the next time because you're already putting so many antecedent strategies in place and you also want to make sure that all the adults in the room are aware of the plan that you and that student worked out so that everyone can be engaged in the same plan. It's very consistent. The student knows what to expect. It's really predictable and there's a lot of structure around that because that's going to allow that plan to be really successful. All right, so we've talked about a tough topic today. When students become escalated in our classrooms, it's really, really tough. And I want you to know there are strategies and interventions can, that can be really, really effective at increasing those desired behaviors and skills of our students so that they are not struggling with their behavior in this way in our classrooms. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that it was helpful and that these are feasible strategies and interventions that you can take back to your classroom and start using with your students so that we are building on student success. If you haven't already checked the show notes, make sure you do so so you get that free guide to teaching coping skills in your classroom. Make sure you add the third episode of this podcast and how to teach students coping skills so that you're listening to that in the future. Also, make sure you go follow me over on Instagram so that you see the daily content I post about behavioral and social emotional learning strategies that you can implement in your classroom so that we can build on student success. Hope you have a great rest of the day.